Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's message of the week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. If we were to take a survey of, say, 100 Christians, and we were to ask them, how does Jesus truly feel about you and your life? And we, were allowed, we said to them, Look, you're not allowed to say he loves you. Like, how does he really feel about you? And then let's say we set up a TV show. We could call it Family Fortunes. And let's say I was a contestant and I stood at the front with a host, let's say Les Dennis. Uh, he said, we've asked 100 people, what does Jesus truly think about you? And, uh, and you have to hit you know, Family Fortunes. Hit, hit the button, get your answer. Do you know what my answer would be? What I think most people out of 100 people would have guessed. I think my plump would be for disappointed. Because I think many, many believers spend their life feeling like, if they're truly honest, they think Jesus is a little bit disappointed with them. And he's not. (laughs) Preach it, Hannah. I've sat with numerous people talking through life, and I think a lot of people, they live with this sort of feeling like if Jesus was going to like stand up and be asked, he'd say, yeah, of course I love them. Yeah, Adam, he's a good guy, does some good stuff, probably score him a C, maybe a C plus on a good day. I don't know, I don't, I don't know if it's resonating at all with how you would feel. It's not saying you should feel like that. Just saying, I think, for many people, that's the picture we have of Jesus in our heads, in our hearts. A God who kind of puts up with us. Who, if really pushed, and if he was being honest, would say, you could try harder. There's probably some other people in here, you know, you don't really know what Jesus would think about you. You're a little bit mystified about what has happened this morning. You're asking right now, what's all the fuss about? Why are you guys on the floor kneeling? Why are you clapping, whistling, singing, hands in the air? Why the act of devotion? Why the generosity? Why the singing at the top of your lungs? If you want to look back in history, why the martyrdom? Why would you die for Jesus? Why would you sing to him? What is the big deal? And uh, through this term, we're going to do a series trying to really tap into these two areas that need some answer. We call this series... Look again at Jesus, and we're, we're, we're borrowing. There's nothing new in the kingdom of God. We're borrowing largely from this book here, where he is talking about this book here. But this book here is called Gentle and Lowly by a guy called Dane Ortland. You'll have heard me talk about this. I've held it up on various things at times. And uh, we've, we've taken some select highlights. I want to sort of marinate in them together as a church family. Um, every time you see us quote Dane Ortland in this series, it's from this book. If you're looking for something to read that might reveal Jesus to you a bit better, this would be an excellent book to get. And that keeps us preachers on our toes because we can't just read it. We have to give a bit more if you've already read it. So that's where we're coming from. This morning, we're going to start our first um, week in this series. We're going to look at the heart of Jesus. Did you know 
that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so the four books in the Bible that talk about the life of Jesus, that record his teachings, record what he did, there's 89 chapters. And in those 89 chapters across four books, there is one place where Jesus talks about his heart. Four books, four writers, 89 chapters. One place where Jesus talks about his heart. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, is what does Jesus tell us about his own heart? The one place. We're not going to look at what he's done. We're not going to look at what he's going to do. We're not going to talk about how we can become more like him this morning or how we can join in with him. What we are looking at this morning is how can we know his heart? What is the heart of Jesus? If you were to cut him open, what would be written through him like a stick of rock? Shall we turn together to the one place in the Bible where Jesus talks about his heart? It's Matthew chapter 11. The last three verses of that chapter, I would strongly recommend if you've got a Bible or a device with the Bible on, having it in front of you this morning. It is on the screen for now as well. Jesus is speaking and he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Shall we read together these verses? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Wow. I mean, if you've read the book, you knew what was coming, but for those who haven't, you might not have expected those to be the two words that Jesus was going to use to define his heart. Let's start by talking about the heart for a minute. What is the heart? In the Bible, when you see someone talking about the heart, what they're talking about is this. It is the seat of the self. It is the central defining element in who somebody is. It is the place that defines them and directs them. When Jesus says this about his heart, he's talking about what defines him and what directs him. Proverbs 4.23 sums it up really nicely. This is a verse that saved my faith. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else. In a book on wisdom. Above everything else in these chapters. Guard your heart. Why? Because everything you do flows from it. 
The heart is the seat of the self. It is the place that defines and directs you. And so when Jesus says, I am gentle and humble in heart, he is defining himself and revealing what directs him, what motivates him in life. Gentleness and humility. Dane Ortland in the book puts it like this. Merciful affections, because he uses flowery language, of course, that none of you would ever use. Merciful affections stream from his innermost heart as rays from the sun. You know that thing in the sky? The yellow one? We see it like two days a year. And you know on the days when it comes out and you sit and the warmth of it hits you, and that warmth has traveled millions of miles, everything that comes out of that yellow ball of burning gas is rays and heat. In the same way, everything that emanates from Jesus' heart is merciful affection. And part of the reason we've used chosen images in the background of these slides, I don't know if you've watched The Chosen, one of the reasons I think The Chosen has been so successful and so well watched is because it brings this element of the character of Jesus out so well. Do you want to put the headline slide back up just for a second, Suzio? People have loved this series depicting and, you know, embellishing and adding on to and being artistic about the story of Jesus. People have loved it because they've captured something of this element, the central defining and directing seat of Jesus. Netflix has season one if you've never watched it. You can stream it on an app or it's all on YouTube too. Highly recommend it. Jesus, in the one place he talks about his heart, says it is gentle and humble. And there is a sadness. And I think my sadness is this. I was getting at it at the beginning of what I said, is that actually this, is, this self-revelation of Jesus is probably a million miles from where so many of us would start if we were trying to introduce somebody else to Jesus. It's probably a million miles from where we ourselves would start from in trying to approach Jesus probably a million miles away from what we would try to see if we were trying to contemplate Jesus. Yet, when we see it in the scriptures, and as I talk about it a bit more this morning, as we experience it, as I think we did this morning in the worship, before I even stood up, it makes our hearts sing. The idea that Jesus is gentle and humble in heart causes the human heart to sing. I think you could make this bold claim. If the scriptures didn't tell us this about Jesus, no human being would dare to make it up. We watched the coronation yesterday, and there were some beautiful moments of depicting humility and other things, but the pomp, the majesty, the gold, the archaic language, it created a picture of something so far away from this central animating feature. We think God's like that. Too often in our minds, in our hearts. And yet Jesus, in the one place he talks about his heart, says it is gentle and humble. So what does he mean? What does gentle and humble really mean? You've got two overlapping terms here. They mean largely the same thing. There's a bit in each one that's 
on its own, but they add together to create a richer picture. We have lots of phrases in English that do this. Things like strong and steady. Yeah, two separate words massively overlap, create a stronger picture. Fresh and ready. Think of any more? It's your challenge for the rest of the day. Two terms that go together, something and something, to create a richer picture. That's what Jesus is saying. Gentle and humble together. I want to suggest to us that we might best understand this as Jesus is accessible. Jesus is accessible. He's not cold. He's not distant. He's not aloof. He's not closed. He's not defended. He is accessible. What was the first three words of what we read today? Come to me. I'm currently reading a book by a Trappist monk called Thomas Merton, who's like one of the foremost contemplatives of the 20th century. Some of it I don't understand. Some of it blows my mind. Some of it I disagree with. It's a good book. That, that, that for me is a good book. A bit you don't, don't understand. A bit that just sets your world on fire. Anyway, this is what he says about humility. He says, humility is the greatest freedom. As long as you have to defend the imaginary self that you think is important, you lose your peace of heart. This one's one of those bits that sets your world on fire. Humility is the greatest freedom. As long as you feel like you've got to defend something that you've made up about yourself, you lose your peace of heart. Jesus says, I am humble in heart. He is undefended. You may have heard the definition of humility as not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. You heard that one? Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, like beating yourself up and, oh, I'm not worthy. It's just actually thinking of yourself less. I find myself sometimes, when I'm not very humble, jumping to my own defense. Ever do this when someone gets you wrong? Oh, no, you've misunderstood me. I've read the Gospels quite a few times in my life, and I'm yet to find Jesus jumping to his own defense. In fact, when he stands trial before Pilate, he goes silent. Doesn't feel the need to defend himself. He is undefended. Philippians 2, there's a hymn about humility and some powerful words. Let me read a couple to you. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. It goes on, this is the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Didn't act out of selfish ambition. Never acted out of vain conceit. Instead, he valued others above himself. He didn't need to defend himself, didn't need to protect himself. His heart was dead set on looking to the interests of others. To the point that he ended up 
dead. He didn't preserve his own life, but considered your interests and my interests above his own. We see it throughout the life of Jesus. There's a great story I I love in the Gospels where Jesus is so accessible that no one can get to him. They filled the house. You know this story? Everyone has flocked to him. And there's a man who's paralyzed trying to get to him. And Jesus is accessible, but he's inaccessible because too many people have found him to be accessible. And so his friends, what do they do? Go up on the roof, dig through, lower him in. And what does Jesus do? Oh, you're messing up my hair. My new robes are dirty. I'm trying to teach here. Come on, you're getting in the... No. Doesn't defend. Doesn't consider himself. He's instantly giving of his attention to the man. And before anybody asks something of him, his heart in gentleness and humility, has already gone to the man. Do you know that? The man doesn't speak. The people lowering him in don't speak. But Jesus acts. Son, your sins are forgiven. Just comes out of him. Just comes out of him. You see the heart of Jesus, gentle and humble, the accessible heart of Jesus, Is it me? Or is it the microphone? Sorry. It just comes out of him. You see the very essence of who he is, ignited by the sight of this man lowered. In the the book by Dane Ortland, he quotes a Puritan writer called Thomas Goodwin. I think this is on a slide, yeah. We are apt to think that he, Jesus, being so holy, is therefore of a severe and sour disposition against sinners. Disappointed. And that he's not able to bear them. No, says Jesus. I am meek. Gentleness is my nature and temper. It's written in the 1600s, right? That's why we don't really understand the words he's using. But you get what he's saying, right? We can so easily think that God's serious, so holy that he couldn't bear to be near those who are broken, whose lives are messy. That he might put up with us because he's kind of got to because he's God and he says he wants to be loving. We're so apt to think that's what God's like. But Jesus says, no, I am meek. Gentleness is my heart. Humility is my heart. There's a church, another church, another church whose podcasts I listen to, who are currently doing a series that I think sums up this notion well. And the title of the series is "He Comes Where He's Wanted." Gentleness and humility could be summed up as Jesus comes where He's wanted. Which is an incredibly challenging thing when you begin to think about it. Gentleness and humility means he doesn't force himself upon people. He comes where he's wanted. Gentleness and humility 
mean Jesus comes where he's wanted. So what question does that leave us with? Do you want him? Moments like we had at the end of worship aren't God forcing himself upon us. They're what happens when hearts desire God. We've already established, we've read the three words at the beginning of our passage, come to me several times. He wants you. The question that's caused in our hearts and should be front and center as we approach this understanding is, well, he wants me, but he's gentle and humble and he comes where he's wanted. So the question in my life is, do I want him? There's another story from the life of Jesus. He's walking along the streets with his disciples and a man, blind man, sitting at the side of the road shouts out to him, Jesus! Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus' friends, they shut him up. Shh, he's too busy walking to listen to you. And he's not put off. Shouts out again, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The Bible tells us his name is Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus. Jesus, his heart is moved because he's gentle and humble, moved by this man's cry. He's accessible. He comes where he's wanted. He's walking along the street. Yet the man at the side of the street wants him and he's moved and he comes to the man. Son, what would you like me to do for you? He says. Doesn't impose himself upon him. What is it that you want? He asks the man. He says, sir, I want to see. Jesus grants him his sight. Jesus comes where he's wanted. Another time, he's walking. He's actually hurrying because a man's come to him and his daughter is ill on death's door, 12 years old. And as he's hurrying with a crowd who are going to find a miracle, do you know this story? Someone pushes through the crowd, forces their way to Jesus, reaches out, touches the hem of his garment. Jesus stops turns round. The lady who's done it tries to hide in the crowd. He says, who touched me? Power went out from me. She so wanted him, and he is so accessible, so drawn to the place that he is wanted, that even if he's walking to heal another person, someone who reaches out to grab hold of him is themselves healed. Because his heart, friends, is gentle and humble. He comes where he's wanted. We need to take a fresh look at Jesus. Too often we've got him wrong. Too often we think he's sour and severe. Too often we think he's disappointed when what he reveals about himself is that his heart, the very seat that defines and directs him, is gentle and humble, accessible and moved by those who want him. Final picture for you. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Revelation 3.20. He 
he comes where he's wanted. Doesn't force it, doesn't kick the door in, comes where he's, did you note? Comes where he's wanted. Whoever opens the door and receives me, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. If anyone opens the door, he says. If anyone opens the door. He is gentle and lowly in heart. He's accessible. He comes where he's wanted. If anyone opens the door, as I knock, I will come in and eat with them. Do you want him? Do you want to know him? Do you want to enjoy him? Friends, we must look again at Jesus. I'm hopeful that's what this series is going to help us to do. It's going to help us form a healthier, more correct, accurate, and life-giving picture of who Jesus is. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This invitation, the one who is accessible, invites anybody who is aware of their need to come to him. We can often think, okay, yes, Adam, you've convinced me. God isn't disappointed. He's not cold. He's not reserved. He's not sour and severe. But in order to come to him, I probably need to do some work because I know me. And if you really knew me, you'd tell me I had to do some work as well. Jesus says, anyone who is weary and burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. There's a quote that fits here beautifully. I think. You don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. Amen? I've got good news for you this morning. You don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. If we go to the next slide, Susio. The truth of the matter is this. Jesus just doesn't meet us at our point of need. I think it's the next one again. He lives there. Jesus doesn't just descend to meet you at your point of need and then run away as fast as he can because he can't bear to be there. No, Jesus lives there. There's a lady called Wendy Mann in our family of churches. I heard her speak a couple of years ago, and, and she said this, how will you ever meet him, Jesus, in the deep places of your heart if you never go there? Rocked my world. How can I ever expect to meet God in the deep, painful, dark places of my heart and life if I put up a wall and refuse to go there? Answer, I can't. Jesus doesn't just meet me in my place of need. He lives there. That's where I'm going to find him. It is my need that qualifies me to come to Jesus. If you sit here this morning and say, Adam, I have no need of Jesus, you can't have him. It is your need that qualifies you. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Are you weary or burdened this morning in any way, shape, or form? If your answer is yes, you can have Jesus. If your answer is no, I want to suggest that you will only ever meet him in the deep places of your heart if you go there. 
I've spent a lot of my life running things like Alpha and speaking with people seeking, looking for God. And I, I came up against the objection a number of times. It's just not really for people like me. I don't know if you've ever thought that. It's just not for people like me. It's Jesus. This is who Jesus' invitation is for. It's for the stingy and the generous. Jesus' invitation is for the lazy and for the overactive. It's for young people, middle-aged people, and old people. It's for you if you're heavily in debt or filthy rich, somewhere in between. It's for you if your heart is riddled with envy. It's for you if you're desperate for peace. It's for you if you're straight, gay, queer, confused. It's for you if you're single, married, separated, divorced, remarried, if your relationship status is it's complicated. It's for you if you have a criminal record or you lock criminals up for a living. It's for you if you've spent your whole life in church or if you've never set foot in church before. Jesus' invitation is very simple. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Your very need is what qualifies you. Jesus' invitation is, come to me, and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It isn't, oh, if you're weary and burdened, just come to me and you can exist near me for a while and it will get better. No, it's come and be joined to me. Come and be bound with me. Come have this wooden thing that connects horses or cows or whatever animals plow things. I don't know. What do you yoke? Oxen? I think you yoke oxen. And it connects the two of us and you can walk in step with me and it's in walking in step with me that you're going to find rest for your soul because the world tells you to live a certain way but all it's doing is tire you out. All it does is tell you that you're not good enough. All it does is tell you you can be anything that you want to be but then gives you the impossible challenge of making yourself that which no one can actually do. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's in being coupled to Jesus. It's in walking in step with him, walking like him, that we find that it is good for our souls and we find rest. You see, friends, we're not designed to just stop and do nothing, but we're designed to walk in step with the one who created all things, the one who sustains all things, the one who says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Has there ever been a more needed message for our overworked, hyper-individualistic, underloved, over-medicated, highly stressed, totally frazzled moment in history? Has there ever been a better message? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. You will find my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's look again, friends, at Jesus. 
maybe, just maybe, we've got him slightly wrong. We're going to finish this morning with the opportunity to come to him through communion. We've got the bread and wine, it's juice, at the front. Gluten-free is at the far end of that table. It's darker than everything else. Please don't eat the gluten-free unless you need to be gluten-free. We're going to finish with the invitation of Jesus. Come to me, who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Friends, if you need rest for your soul this morning, the invitation is to come to the open, inviting, gentle, and humble arms of Jesus through communion. We take the bread. This symbolizes the body of Jesus that was broken for us because he values us more highly than himself and acted in your best interests, not in his own. So his body was broken. And we come and we eat and we remember. We take the juice. And we drink it to remember his blood poured out for us. Because even when faced with death, a brutal death, Jesus remained undefended. The thief on the cross discovered that Jesus was still accessible even when he had nails through his body. I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. As his blood was poured out on your behalf and on my behalf, on that thief's behalf, Jesus was still accessible. And as we come and we drink the juice, we remember his blood shed, and we find the possibility of forgiveness as we repent and come to him. Friends, the act of coming to Jesus is a dangerous act because you're leaving something behind. But the invitation this morning is if you are weary or burdened, you can come to him and find rest for your souls. We're going to worship whilst we take communion. It's a free invitation. Come down as we sing. You might want to take it with one or two others. You might want to pray for each other. You may want a quiet moment on your own. You might want to kneel as we did earlier at the end of worship, powerful moment just to kneel before God, the one who is gentle and humble. We need a fresh look at Jesus, friends. This is what he says about himself. And with this, we'll move into worship. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light.